Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now it's time for the sports news for Sunday, January 14th, 2024. And your reader today is Jerry Clem. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or who have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. From ESPN, breaking news, Bill Belichick leaving Patriots after 24 seasons, sources say. Adam Schefter and Mike Rice. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are expected to part ways Thursday after a remarkable 24 seasons together, ending an unmatched run in NFL history that included six Super Bowl titles, league sources told ESPN. Belichick and Patriots owner Robert Kraft spent a good part of this week periodically meeting and discussing how each side wanted to proceed. From sources familiar with those conversations, there was said to be no conflict, no disagreement, and in the end, productive talks resulted in a mutual decision that left both sides comfortable and at ease. Both Belichick and Kraft, as one outside party noted, took the high road, which was fitting for an owner-coach tandem that will go down as one of the greatest and most decorated in NFL history. Belichick, who had one year remaining on his contract, will be allowed to leave the team without the Patriots seeking compensation. He will want to continue coaching and is expected to draw interest from at least some of the other seven NFL teams that have head coaching vacancies, quite possibly the Atlanta Falcons, league sources said. The Patriots will now embark on their first head coaching search in a quarter century. Patriots linebacker coach Jared Mayo, whom the team signed to a contract extension in the offseason, and Kraft has identified as a rising head coaching candidate, projects to be, if not the, leading candidate for the job, sources said. Mayo played for the Patriots from 2008 to 2014 and has been assistant under Belichick since 2019. Belichick's exit from New England is expected to come less than 24 hours after his close friend Nick Saban retired from Alabama. There is a symmetry and a similarity in the departures of the two football legends, men who are widely considered the greatest coach in professional history and the greatest coach in college football history. Belichick helped lead the Patriots to nine Super Bowl appearances and six Super Bowl titles. Saban led Alabama to nine SEC titles and six national championships. Additionally, Saban succeeded Pete Carroll as the Ohio State secondary coach in 1980 when Belichick was the head coach in Cleveland. He worked with Saban from 1991 to 1994, and Belichick replaced Carroll as the Patriots' head coach in 2000, decades before all three vacated their long-standing jobs this week in a 24-hour period.
The fact that Belichick and Kraft are going their own ways carries an element of sadness, but not surprise. Kraft had pointed out how important it was for the Patriots to make the playoffs this season. Instead, they were one of the first teams eliminated on December 10th. Speculation about Belichick's future swirled during the 2023 season, with one of the lowest points for the team coming November 12th in a 10-6 loss to the Indianapolis Colts in Frankfurt, Germany. Before that game, addressing this past season, 82-year-old Kraft told NFL Network, it's really been disappointing. I had hoped things would be a lot better. As I know, our fan base did. This isn't what we were expecting to happen this year. Another key factor for Kraft was the franchise's trajectory since the departure of quarterback Tom Brady as a free agent after the 2019 season. Since losing Brady, which pained Kraft, the Patriots have posted losing records in three of their four seasons, and their last playoff win was a 13-3 triumph over the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 53 on February 3, 2019, when Brady was still on the team. Belichick, 71, leaves New England with 333 career victories, including playoffs, ranking second all-time behind Don Shula with his 347. Belichick, George Hallis, and Curly Lambeau are the only NFL coaches with six championships since the league began postseason play in 1933. Belichick's 24-year tenure was the fifth longest of any head coach with one team. He had completed his 49th consecutive NFL season in 2023, the most consecutive coaching seasons in league history. He is now looking to spend season number 50 with another NFL franchise. Belichick's resume also includes these marks that are expected to stand for the foreseeable future. 17 division titles, the most by head coach in NFL history with Shula, Andy Reid, and Tom Landry tied for second with 13. Nine conference championships, the most by head coach in the Super Bowl era. 12 Super Bowl appearances, including his time as an assistant. 21 winning seasons as a head coach, which trails only Hallis with 40, Shula with 33, Lambeau with 33, and Landry with 29. One of four undefeated and untied regular seasons in NFL history in 2007, it was the only one under the 16-game schedule played from 1978 to 2020. The Patriots have scheduled a news conference with Belichick and Kraft for noon Eastern Time Thursday, and it will mark the end of a remarkable era in Patriots and football history. Pete Carroll out as Seahawks coach after 14 seasons. Brady Henderson, ESPN. Seattle, after 14 seasons, 10 playoff appearances, and the franchise's lone Super Bowl championship, Pete Carroll is out as the Seattle Seahawks coach. Team owner Jody Allen said in a statement Wednesday that the decision was made after thoughtful meetings and careful consideration for the best interest of the franchise. Carroll, whose Seahawks finished 9-8 and and missed out on the playoffs for the second time in three seasons, will remain with the team in an unspecified advisory role. In an emotional farewell news conference Wednesday, 
Carroll, reading from a prepared statement, said he and the ownership have mutually agreed to set a new course. However, he said it was that they competed pretty hard and he wanted to remain as Seattle's coach and that he ultimately went along with the owner's intentions. Carroll said his comments after the Seahawks season finale that he wanted to continue coaching the team were true to the bone. I want to make sure that that's clear as things have shifted so quickly in most people's perspective, Carroll said. It's been an honor and a thrill to be part of this program, and I've loved every minute of it. You've watched me love it. Asked if he'd entertain another head coaching job if the right opportunity arose, Carroll said he didn't know, adding, Today is about today. Carroll said he has yet to be determined what his role as an advisor will entail, but that it will not include assisting general manager John Schneider in the search for his successor. We're going to figure that out, he said of his advisor role. We don't really know right now, but I'm grateful for the intention that the organization has to try and find something that makes sense. So we'll see. I don't know. The Seahawks are expected to be interested in, among others, Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, sources told ESPN Adam Schefter. Quinn served as a Seahawks assistant from 2009 to 2010 and was their defensive coordinator from 2013 to 2014 when they won the Super Bowl and nearly repeated as champion the following year. The Seahawks have no obvious head coaching candidates on their current staff. Carroll's assistant coaches have been given permission to look for jobs elsewhere, a source told ESPN. Pete is the winningest coach in Seahawks history, brought this city its first Super Bowl title, and created a tremendous impact over the past 14 years on the field and in the community, Allen said. His expertise in leadership and building a championship culture will continue as an integral part of our organization moving forward. After the Seahawks beat the Arizona Cardinals Sunday, but missed out on a wild card berth, Carroll said he intended to return as the Seahawks coach in 2024, a point he reiterated on his radio show the next morning. I plan to be coaching this team, Carroll told Seattle Sports 710 AM. I told you that I love these guys, and that's what I would like to be doing and see how far I can go. I'm not worn out. I'm not tired. I'm not any of that stuff. I need to do a better job, and I need to help my coaches more, and we need to do a better job of coaching, and there's a lot of area for improvement. The Seahawks got off to a 5-2 and two start that briefly had them in first place in the NFC West, but a second-half skid doomed their playoff hopes. That stretch included their only four-game losing streak of the Carroll era. Among those losses was a 33-13 blowout on Thanksgiving night at the hands of division rival, the San Francisco 49ers, who have beaten the Seahawks five straight times, including last season's wild card round, by a combined score of 148-72. The Seahawks also lost 37-3 to the Baltimore Ravens in November, the second-worst margin of defeat under Carroll. Over the last 14 seasons, the Seahawks, six 
0.06 winning percentage in regular season games, ranks sixth best in the NFL. Their 10 playoff appearances, including five NFC West titles, but they haven't advanced past the divisional round since the 2014 season and are 25 and 26 since 2021, with their only trip to the playoffs in that stretch ending with a wild card loss. We lost our edge, Carroll said. The edge to be great, which was really how we ran the football and how we played defense. It wasn't as good as we needed it to be. You all get tired of me thinking I'm three yards in a cloud of dust. You guys don't get it. And I'm sorry about that. But it's all part of the whole cycle of what you do when you put a football team together. And we weren't as clear in the last couple of years. Carroll's news conference had a celebratory feel. Music blared as he took the stage inside the auditorium at Seahawks headquarters. It was packed with team employees, including linebacker Bobby Wagner, quarterback Geno Smith, and other players. Carroll, the only person who spoke, declined to elaborate on what led to Allen's decision after their end-of-season meetings. He said, There's no doubt in my mind that the Seahawks were in a position to take a step forward under his leadership. This isn't about me being the head coach, he said. It's about this organization being successful and being on course for the long haul of it as well. I realize that. I'm about as old as you can get in this business, and there's coming a time they've got to make some decisions. So moving towards the future, if there's some way that I can add something to them down the road, we'll see what happens. But this is a good move for them, and Schneider's going to take the bull by the horns and roll. I'm so thankful that I get to see him take that next step and watch what he does with it. He's going to kick butt. Hired by the Seahawks in 2010, Carroll had the fourth longest tenure with his current team of any head coach, behind Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and John Harbaugh. At 72, Carroll had been the NFL's oldest head coach for several years, but has given zero indications that he's getting close to retirement. The five-year extension he signed in 2020 put him under contract with the Seahawks through the 2025 season. Schneider, who arrived with Carroll in 2010 and is signed through the 2027 draft, now stands alone as the highest-ranking member of their football operations department. Carroll exits as the winningest coach in Seahawks history with a record of 137-89-1 and and 10 playoff victories, including his head coaching stints with the New York Jets and New England Patriots. His career record of 181-131-1 puts him in a tie with Tomlin for 13th in NFL history in regular season and playoff wins. Along with Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer, Carroll is one of only three coaches to win both a college national championship and a Super Bowl. The Seahawks marked Carroll's third and by far most successful stint as an NFL coach. He lasted one season with the Jets, who went 6-10 in 1994, and was fired by the Patriots after three seasons, having gone 27-21 and with two playoff appearances. After spending the 2000 season out of football and reshaping his coaching philosophy, Carroll was hired by USC 
beginning a dominant nine-year run that included seven consecutive Pac-10 titles and a pair of national championships. The Seahawks lured him away from USC in 2010 with the promise of a final say in personnel moves, something he didn't have in either of his two previous head coaching stops. Carroll, who also held the title of Executive Vice President of Football Operations, teamed with Snyder to lead the Seahawks through their most successful run in franchise history. Seattle's 10 playoff appearances since 2010 matched the number of times the Seahawks had reached the postseason in their 34 years of existence before Carroll and Snyder arrived. The Seahawks hammered Peyton Manning and the Broncos 43-8 in Super Bowl 48. Their hopes of repeating as world champions the next year against the Patriots were dashed when Malcolm Butler intercepted Russell Wilson's pass at the goal line in the closing seconds. During the most emotional moment of his news conference, Carroll broke down while talking about what his wife Glenna has meant to him. He later said his favorite memory over the last 14 years was standing on the stage after the Seahawks' Super Bowl victory and finding his wife in the crowd. That was it, Carroll said, by far. The end of Carroll's opening statement marked one of several times in which he sounded as though he's not ready to give up coaching. I'm freaking jacked. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down, he said. You guys tried your best. You didn't wear me out. It's the end of the season. I'm supposed to go lay on the couch somewhere. I ain't feeling that. What's coming? I don't know. I've got no idea, and I really don't care right now. But I'm excited about it because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to study. There are some great discoveries that are going to come our way. And as my all-time mentor Bud Grant said, not in so many words, there's rivers to wade, there's waves to catch, and there's mountains to hike. It wasn't exactly how he said it, but I get it. There's some cool stuff that we're going to do here, and I'm looking forward to all of that. If not now, when for Dak Prescott and a Cowboys Super Bowl? Todd Archer, ESPN staff writer. Frisco, Texas. The words are there for all the Dallas Cowboys to see every day. Carpe omnia. Coach Mike McCarthy chose the Latin phrase, seize everything, as the Cowboys' motto for 2023. It's surrounded by a collage of images in the main hallway outside their locker room. In the upper left corner is a huddle full of Cowboys and the Vince Lombardi trophy hanging over the group. In the middle are photos of the Cowboys' five Super Bowl champion teams. A blank spot is left in the middle for the 2023 Cowboys. Credit Mike for making that the theme of this season, and it's been something we've pointed to at different parts of the year. And right now, it's bigger than ever, quarterback Das Prescott said. These Cowboys have to seize everything as they start their postseason journey against the Green Bay Packers in the wild card round Sunday, 4.25 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. If not now, when? This is their best chance in years to recapture that Super Bowl magic, in part because there isn't an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees to go through. 
But when considering the Cowboys' salary cap, impending free agent decisions, the draft, front office, and coaching futures, this is an all-in postseason for Dallas. That doesn't mean the Cowboys will fall apart in 2024 and beyond, but windows of opportunity last only so long. This is why you play the game, said cornerback Stephen Gilmore, who is back in the postseason for the first time since 2019 after winning a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots in 2018. It's do or die right now. The Cowboys are back in the playoffs for the third straight season. They have not done that since the 1990s dynasty teams that delivered three of the franchise's five Super Bowl wins with Hall of Fame talents such as Troy Aikman, Charles Haley, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith. But what are the 2023 Cowboys? In defensive end Demarcus Lawrence and guard Zach Martin and tackle Tyron Smith, they have a core of veteran players who have experienced five playoff heartbreaks. Prescott has been around for four. They traded for two players with Super Bowl experience, receiver Brandon Cooks and Gilmore, in hopes of getting over the massive hump that seems to be the divisional round of the playoffs. They have players with four or few fewer years of experience who are among the best in the NFL at their positions. Receiver C.D. Lamb, linebacker Micah Parsons, and guard Tyler Smith. But while this roster might be ready to compete for a Super Bowl, maintaining this level of talent for the long term won't be simple. The Cowboys have serious salary cap issues to solve, according to roster management systems. They have roughly $258 million committed to 48 players against the 2024 cap. While the 2024 salary cap is not set and typically rises from the year before, 2023's cap is $224.8 million. Prescott carries $59.4 million cap figure. An extension of his contract would solve almost all the potential issues. But if the Cowboys don't make a Super Bowl run this season, should they commit to what could be the richest contract in NFL history for a quarterback who has not gotten to a Super Bowl in his first eight seasons as a starter? Owner and general manager Jerry Jones, as well as executive president Stephen Jones, have consistently said they want Prescott to be the quarterback well into the future. Prescott, who turned 30 in July, had his best season an NFL leading 36 touchdown passes and nine interceptions after tying for the league lead in interceptions with 15 in 2022, despite missing five games. But this will be the year he puts together a postseason. But will it be as good as his regular season? Jerry Jones is not worried about the cost. That really has not crossed my mind. Just as when we were wanting him to have more success or to exhibit more success, that I thought about it as driving down the price, Jones said. Worrying about paying Prescott doesn't cross my mind. I'm here like everybody else, wanting him to be the most valuable player in the NFL. That would go against everything we're about. We're trying to win the Super Bowl, and obviously we've got a better chance to win it if we have him as the quarterback playing at that level. Beyond Prescott, 
The Cowboys would like to sign Lamb and Parsons to contract extensions that would make them the highest paid or at least close at their positions. Lamb is signed through 2024 after his fifth-year option was picked up last season. The Cowboys will pick up Parsons' fifth-year option for the 2025 season this spring. Among the key roster decisions the Cowboys will have to figure out during the offseason is what to do with Tyron Smith. The left tackle was drafted in the first round in 2011 and is the longest-tenured Cowboy. He is also one of 17 players set to become unrestricted free agents during the offseason. While that number might not be much higher than recent years, they, are more, they have more starting or key contributors on that list, such as running back Tony Pollard, center Tyler Biads, defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins, Gilmore, safety Jaron Curse, and cornerback Jordan Lewis, as well as defensive ends Dorrance Armstrong and Dante Fowler Jr., and defensive tackle Neville Gallimore. Other questions linger. What do they do with Pollard, their leading rusher? They don't have a left tackle ready to take over for Tyron Smith, especially if their desire is to keep Tyler Smith at left guard. They don't have a center ready to take over for Biads who has started every game he has played in the last three seasons. Gilmore, 33, has been solid. But what kind of contract will he command as he enters his 13th season? And how much would the Cowboys pay knowing cornerback Trevin Diggs is coming back from a torn ACL in his left knee? When it comes to the 2024 NFL Draft, Dallas has a pick in each of the first three rounds, and two in the seventh round. They could get two compensatory picks as well, but they don't have their own picks in the fourth. Trey Lance trade with San Francisco, fifth, Eric Scott Jr. trade with Kansas City, and sixth round, Cooks trade with Houston. They will also face more difficult schedule next season, with eight games against 2023 playoff teams and a game against the Cincinnati Bengals, who will have quarterback Joe Burrows back from injury. And if the NFC's East two-decade streak without a repeat champion holds, the 2023 champion Cowboys' path to the Super Bowl will presumably be harder in 2024. The Cowboys did not get much regular season production from their top three rookie picks. Defensive tackle... Maisie Smith, tight end Luke Schoonermaker, and linebacker DeMarvian Overshawn, who suffered a torn ACL in the preseason. Fourth-round pick Volami Fahoko Jr. was not active for a game, but spent time on injured reserve. Will they be ready for a second-year jump McCarthy talks about? The Cowboys will have decisions to make with their coaching staff and front office as well. Will defensive coordinator Dan Quinn leave for a head coaching spot? Could vice president of player personnel Will McClay go somewhere else to become a general manager? The Carolina Panthers have requested an interview with Quinn, who has been up for jobs each of the past two seasons. Jerry Jones adjusted Quinn's contract per sources, but Quinn wants to be a head coach again. If the right opportunity presents itself, Jones might be hard-pressed to convince Quinn to stay. And that leads to the question of McCarthy's future. 
Should the Cowboys not put it all together in the next four weeks? Would Jones move away from McCarthy if the Cowboys falter Saturday against the Packers or not make it to a conference championship game? McCarthy has produced three straight 12-win seasons, three straight playoff appearances, and Prescott just had his best season. What he's done, the fact that we put ourselves in this position over the last three years, I think that does speak for itself, Jerry Jones said after the regular season finale win at Washington. We've got a lot of football left, and in no small part thanks to Mike, thanks to his staff, and thanks to some really outstanding players around here. So we'll see how each game goes. Read into that and the salary cap, roster and draft decisions what you want. But all of it suggests the 2024 Cowboys could look different than the 2023 Cowboys. Mike Tomlin brought the 2023 Steelers back from the brink. Brooke Pryor, ESPN staff writer. Pittsburgh. Standing at the front of a ballroom in Pittsburgh area hotel on December 22nd, the night before facing the Cincinnati Bengals for the second time, Mike Tomlin delivered the message his team needed to hear. They were at their lowest point of the season. After improbably dropping three consecutive games, including two at home to a pair of the league's worst teams. Questions about effort and leadership swirled. The third string quarterback was taking over the starting job after three dismal outings by the backup replacing the injured starter. The Pittsburgh Steelers were in a bad place, but Tomlin knew just what to say. His message was simple yet impactful. Scared money don't make money. The time to take chances is now, special teamer Miles Killebrew said, translating his head coach. Essentially, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it now. And that's exactly what the Steelers did, rattling off three straight wins as they followed their coach's message, buying into each other and taking calculated risks that paid off. He's our leader and he sets the trajectory. And it's kind of his vision, our words, and we ride with whatever he's saying. We're selling it, interim offensive coordinator Eddie Faulkner said. That knack for saying the right thing at the right time, for consistently preaching a message that isn't a superficial speech, but one filled with meaningful directives that permeate the soul of his team is a quality that's endeared Tomlin to locker rooms throughout 17 years at the helm of the Steelers. This year, Tomlin's scared money motto is the latest iteration of his oft-repeated mantra, we're not living in our fears. And in a season where questions around Tomlin's leadership and ability to get through to his locker room churned outside the Steelers' facility, the coach shut down the naysayers by railing his team from a 4% chance to make the postseason, per ESPN Analytics, to a wildcard matchup with the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. CBS, beginning with that pivotal pregame speech. At that point in time, it was a red arrow around here pointing down inside linebacker Miles Jack said. I think everybody kind of looked themselves in the mirror, kind of focused on that square and what they could do better. And as a cliche as it sounds, it actually worked, and we just started winning games. 
The Steelers responded to Tomlin with a convincing 23-point win against the Bengals, their first victory of more than one score this season. In his post-game news conference, Tomlin peeled back the curtain to reveal the team's mentality and reference their new slogan for the first time. We came in with that mentality all week, he said, answering questions about Mason Rudolph's aggressiveness to win. We talked about scared money, not making money. And so that kind of mentality went into it all week. They didn't stop there. Rattling off two more wins against the Seattle Seahawks and Baltimore Ravens to a 10-7 and record, securing Tomlin's 17th straight non-losing season and a playoff berth. He has a fascinating way of simplifying things that need to be said in a way that everybody can understand, Jack said. Normally, when things are said, you kind of say, well, that doesn't apply to me. He's talking about somebody else. But everything that comes out of his mouth, you can definitely resonate with and look at yourself and be like, you know what? Damn, I could do that a little bit better. Or, damn, I need to focus on this. Or, yeah, if I don't mess up, you know what I mean. He's good at keeping people accountable. That trait is what makes people inside the Steelers organization shake their heads each time the external chatter heats up about Tomlin's job security. That happened earlier this season amid the three-game losing streak and the news cycle about the lack of effort wide receiver George Pickens showed on the field. I've been on teams where it's a real hot seat, and it's pretty much known that that person that's there today Ain't going to be there next season, Jack said. In my opinion, I would think Tomlin's current seat was freezing, as cold as outside. In telling his team to ignore the outside news and noise, Tomlin addressed the speculation and criticism head on. There are no elephants in Mike Tomlin's meeting room. Beginning with the tone-setting gathering Mondays at 2 p.m., that's part of what makes him a special, effective leader. The team meetings are incredible, T.J. Watt said. Everybody. I wish they had the chance to sit in on those meetings. And I think it's just him giving a great message to us and us running with it. And guys having true belief in this locker room and the guys in it. He's consistent at delivering those messages. It's almost haunting, Killer Bruce said thinking back to things Tomlin said in Latrobe, Pennsylvania during training camp and how they seemingly foreshadow the Steelers' winding path to the playoffs. He's never even doubled down or doubted for a second that we would be in this position, Killebrew said. There's messages that he's been giving us that have been kind of eerily steadfast, and it's just crazy to see how it still applies today almost as though he planned it. And obviously, I'm not trying to give him too much credit. There's a lot of things that had to happen, but he's never wavered in his message. And I think if anyone expected us to be in this moment going into the playoffs, it was him. It's not just that the Steelers are in the playoffs, but how they got here that shows the team's ability to embody and embrace its head coach's words. Perhaps the most obvious ab application of Tomlin's do-or-die motto comes from Rudolph, beginning with his very first pass attempt. 
The quarterback connected with wide receiver George Pickens for an 86-yard touchdown on the second play of the Bengals' win. Coach T talked about it earlier this week. We got to be able to take those shots and kind of let our nuts hang out there, Cole said, beating Cincinnati. There just ain't nothing to lose. Just good to see the success down there. And good to see us complete those shots. It changed the game for us. Later in the game, Rudolph completed two third down passes to Pickens. One on third and 15 and the other on third and one that went for 44 yards and a 66-yard touchdown, respectively. A week later in Seattle, Tomlin urged his offensive staff to call a throw to Pickens on second down in a late-game situation where the entire stadium thought they would run the ball. The move paid off as Rudolph hit Pickens for a 10-yard game. Those are the calculated risks that you take, and that worked out for us, Faulkner said. In each case, Tomlin and the Steelers were aggressive in the play call, trusting Rudolph to make the money play. And he didn't just cash in on those instances. Rudolph has completed 72% of his attempts on third down and is averaging 11.5 yards per attempt on third down throws. With Rudolph at quarterback, the Steelers have converted 45% of their third downs, ranking eighth in the league. With Kenny Pickett and Mike Trubisky starting, the Steelers converted just 35% of third downs, 26th in the NFL. After a hollow loss to a woeful New England Patriots team, Tomlin stood behind a podium and vowed the Steelers would be back. Externally, his words felt hollow in the moment, even more so when the team was blown out against the Colts a week later. And yet, inside the building, the team never stopped believing in its coach and the coach never stopped believing in them. In a tumultuous season that saw multiple significant injuries to key defensive players, three different quarterbacks, and the unprecedented in-season firing of an offensive coordinator, Tomlin's ability to remain steadfast and confident while daring his group to take the necessary risks paid off with a once improbable playoff berth. There's been a lot of outside noise. But at the end of the day, the guys have been working their asses off and trusting in each other, Watts said. It doesn't matter how depleted we are. We understand what's happening all over the league. But if we want to win games, it's going to take the guys in this building. And we've really taken it and run with it. I think none of that's possible without Mike T at the helm. NCAA approves new NIL rules. To help athletes protect themselves, Dan Murphy, ESPN staff writer, Phoenix. The NCAA Division I Council voted Wednesday to adopt new rules designed to help athletes avoid unscrupulous agents and unfavorable terms in name, image, and likeness contracts. Starting in August, the NCAA will provide athletes with standardized contract recommendations for NIL deals and aggregated data to help schools and athletes have a more realistic picture of the going rates for endorsement deals. The association also plans to create a voluntary registry of credible and trusted agents that will be based largely on feedback from the athletes who have worked with them in the past. We don't want to do anything to get into the way of student-athletes trying to activate their NIL rights, 
but we do want to assist them in essentially protecting themselves, MAC Commissioner and Division I Council Vice Chair John Steinbrecher said. The Council voted on the new rules during the NCAA's annual convention this week. In addition, the Council formally proposed new rules that, if passed, will be able to help facilitate deals between athletes and NIL collectives, a move that will likely return some degree of control over roster management back to athletic departments and teams on campus. The schools and any associated NIL collectives will still be prohibited from negotiating deals with recruits or transfers before they enroll. The council is expected to vote on those proposed changes before the start of next academic year after gathering feedback from school leaders. While these changes represent a significant shift in NIL policy that previously tried to keep schools at a lengthy distance from endorsement activity, they may quickly become moot if the NCAA decides to adopt even more progressive rule changes in the coming year. Last month, NCAA President Charlie Baker proposed a far more dramatic new policy shift that would, among other changes, allow schools to pay athletes directly to promote their universities through name, image, and likeness deals. Baker said that implementing those more significant changes would likely have to come in tandem with help from Congress, providing a federal law that would provide some antitrust protection for the NCAA and carve out a special status for athletes that keeps them from becoming employees. There's no doubt in my mind a lot of these schools would do a lot more for student-athletes if it was done under some framework that looked more like a contractual relationship and less like employment because the employment ones come with a million other things that are pretty dramatic, Baker said on Tuesday night. He said his proposal was designed as a table-setter to start a conversation rather than establish specific policies. The NCAA Division I Board of Directors is expected to vote later this week on whether to formally begin discussing those changes. If they decide to proceed, those changes would be in place as soon as fall 2024. We've only had a few conversations about Baker's proposal, Steinbrecher said. I don't know why I'd be scared about any of this. Let's focus on it. Let's think about what it means to us and how we want to help craft this but let's move forward. Council members are optimistic that the rules put in place this week will remove some bad actors from the NIL marketplace. There is currently no comprehensive source of public data to provide a clear picture of how much athletes are making from their deals. Aggregate and anonymous data shared by all NCAA members, there is no plan to share the details of specific deals signed by athletes, could help both schools and athletes have a more realistic picture of what to expect when negotiating deals with companies and NIL collectives. The standardized contract templates are not yet finalized, but are likely to include suggestions for terms of NIL deals, such as making sure no contracts last longer than an athlete's college career or that an agent doesn't take an exorbitant percentage of the proceeds. Morgan Wynn, an Oklahoma State softball player and one of two athletes on Division I Council, said the rules adopted Wednesday are extremely necessary to help athletes navigate their endorsement option. We're very supportive of the things that 
were put out there for student athletes' protections, Wynn said. I don't believe that there really are any concerns that should follow any of those. Among other items, the council also voted Wednesday to adopt stiffer penalties for individuals who violate NCAA rules. Moving forward, coaches who are suspended will be required to stay away from their teams on days between games in addition to missing games themselves. Schools who hire coaches with show-cause penalties from past violations could also receive penalties, and the NCAA plans to create a public database of individuals with a history of Level 1 or Level 2 violations. Baker, who took over as the association's president last March, is expected to address discussed his proposed changes and other major issues in college sports at his first annual State of the Union-style address to the convention Wednesday night. He said he was hopeful that Division I leaders would vote to start the formal process of weighing his proposals and sorting through details during the NCAA convention this week. Champion Michigan Wolverines return home to joyous fans. Associated Press, Ann Arbor, Michigan. The national champion Michigan Wolverines returned home Tuesday night to a thunderous applause and screaming fans following their 34-13 victory over the Washington Huskies. Thank you so much for being here, Coach Jim Harbaugh said. We had lofty aspirations and high goals and we never lost sight of them. Defensive tackle Chris Jenkins also thanked the crowd. You don't know how much we appreciate you all from the bottom of our hearts. All the love and support, Jenkins said. When the whole world doubted us, when the whole world didn't think we could do it, what did we say? Boom! Quarterback J.J. McCarthy was greeted with chance of one more year, asking the junior to return to help defend the national title in the fall. Let me just say this. I don't know how I could leave you all, McCarthy said. It says everything about this place that's made it home for me, and I just love every single one of you from the bottom of my heart. The university was set to announce details Wednesday morning regarding a formal celebration Saturday in Ann Arbor. From the NBA, Kawhi Leonard hopes Dill helps Clippers keep George Harden by Om Young Miusuk, ESPN staff writer. Los Angeles. Kawhi Leonard said he hopes taking less than what he was eligible for in a contract extension with the LA Clippers will keep Paul George and James Harden with the team as well. The Clippers announced Leonard's deal Wednesday, but did not disclose terms. He signed a three-year, $153 million extension, sources told ESPN. With the conversation that I have with them about it, I think for the most part everybody is coming back, Leonard said, after the Clippers beat the Toronto Raptors 126-120 to on Wednesday night. So with me signing an extension, I think it gives us a chance to sign both of those players. Leonard and George entered the season eligible for a maximum extension of four years and $223 million, according to ESPN's Bobby Marks. Sources told ESPN that Leonard's extension will pay the forward $52 million in the first year and approximately $50 million per season over the next two years. The extension does not include a player option, according 
to ESPN, but does include a 15% trade kicker. Asked about his thinking in taking a shorter extension than he was eligible for, Leonard said, I think at that point, I'm going to be 35. You're going to see how I'm playing at that age, the 32-year-old Leonard said. So I guess that's the number. The Clippers also have had extension talks with George and want to have both stars lined up on long-term contracts, sources told ESPN. Leonard had until June 30th to sign an extension with a 48.7 million player option for next season. George, who also has a 48.7 million player option, said he is thrilled for Leonard and wants to remain a Clipper. I mean, absolutely, George said when asked whether Leonard's extension is stepping stone for him staying. You secure and lock in Kawhi definitely leaves the door open for myself, but very, very optimistic something will get done on my behalf as well. Asked how close he and the Clippers are to being on the same page for an extension, George replied, we're working through it. Harden, 34, is under contract and cannot sign a new deal until after the NBA Finals. Both the Clippers and Harden have been very happy with how things have gone since the team traded for the point guard on October 30th. After a six-game losing streak after the trade, the Clippers have meshed and gone on a tear. They have now won 21 of their past 27 games with Leonard in the midst of one of his healthiest and most productive seasons as a Clipper. Leonard opened this season playing in 27 straight games, his most consecutive games in a season since 2016-2017. The two-time finals MVP is averaging 24 points and 6 rebounds while shooting 51.8% from the field, including 42.2% from behind the arc in 33 games. George is also enjoying a healthy start, averaging 23.4 points and 5.6 rebounds, while shooting 46.3% from the field and 41.4% from three-point range in 35 games. The Leonard extension ensures the Clippers will have their franchise star to move to their new Intuit Dome in Inglewood, California next season. Stephen Curry acknowledges Warriors might need a shakeup. Kendra Andrews, ESPN. San Francisco. Boos rain down on the Golden State Warriors from their home crowd in Chase Center, a place that was a safe haven for them last season. All throughout their 141-105 loss to the New Orleans Pelicans on Wednesday. The same thing happened two days before. That time it was on their way to a routing by the Toronto Raptors. Two consecutive games in which they got blown out. Two consecutive games in which they never held a lead. Two consecutive games in which their stature got more and more rattled. The Warriors went 2-5 and five during a home stretch they hoped could swing their momentum after their choppy, inconsistent first quarter of a season. Instead, they now head on the road, continuing their season-long search for answers. At this point in the season, with a 17-20 and 20 record and the 12th place in the Western Conference one month from the trade deadline, those answers might be found only in a shakeup. It's pretty evident that if things stay the same, 
that the definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same thing, but expecting different results, Warriors guard Stephen Curry said. Following the indefinite suspension of Draymond Green on December 13th, Warriors general manager Mike Dunleavy Jr. said the next 15 to 20 games would be crucial in determining what decisions the team would make moving forward. Wednesday's game was number 14, and so far no lineup combination is working. No adjustments are helping, and the list of problems just keeps getting longer. You get to a point where you're trying to explain it, trying to figure out what can change specifically that can help us, Curry said. Those conversations are happening in between games, in film sessions, in the locker room, but it's headed in the opposite direction. I don't know what to say about it. We're not used to this vibe around here. It's all terrible, and it sucks. The Warriors have a long list of gut-wrenching losses, close games that turn into late-game defeats. The Warriors have played in a league-leading 28 games decided in clutch time. They blew a 24-point lead to the Sacramento Kings. They blew a 22-point lead to the L.A. Clippers. They filed a shooter on the Oklahoma City Thunder in the final seconds of two different games to end up with losses. They blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead to the defending champion, the Denver Nuggets. Curry categorized those losses as what-if games. That didn't leave them losing hope because at least they were competitive. The two blowout losses exposed the more dangerous reality, though. We are lacking confidence, Warriors coach Steve Kerr said. We get to the stage where you lose your belief. The Warriors allowed 46 points to the Pelicans in the first quarter, the most points they've given up in any quarter this season, and gave New Orleans 39 uncontested looks, according to ESPN Stats and Information Research. The eight different players to score in double digits for New Orleans were the Pelicans' most in a game this season, and tied for their second most in a game in franchise history, per ESPN Stats and Information. In the third quarter, the Warriors trailed by 41 points, their largest deficit of the season. The 36-point loss is their worst home loss since March 2007, when they lost by 37 to the San Antonio Spurs. One of the coaches said, we are the quietest team ever, Kerr said. We need guys who can rally the troops right. When you're going through it like this, there's only one way out, and that's to fight together, to compete together. But according to Clay Thompson, the mood surrounding the team has been deflated. There is some hope that Green's imminent return, which they hope will happen over the next four-game road trip, will galvanize the group and bring a new level of energy and vocalness. The Warriors maintain the hope that as long as they have Curry, Green, and Thompson, they can stay competitive. But as Dunleavy warned back in December, Golden State would have to creep past 500 and start winning some games. And if not, we'll have to reevaluate. From Major League Baseball, Bud Harrelson, scrappy Mets shortstop who fought Pete Rose, dies at 79. New York, Bud Harrelson, the scrappy and sure-handed shortstop who fought Pete Rose on the field during a playoff game and helped the New York Mets win an astonishing championship, died Wednesday night at 79. The Mets said Thursday morning that Harrelson died at a hospice house in East Northport, 
New York after a long battle with Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed in 2016 and publicly shared his struggle over two years, hoping he and his family could help others who are afflicted. Throughout his health ordeal, Harrelson stayed involved with his professional pride and joy. He was part owner of the Long Island Ducks, an independent minor league team located minutes from his home. He called his decades of work with the club, which he was instrumental in starting and running, his greatest achievement in baseball. The team said Harrelson's family was planning a celebration of his life for a later date. During a major league career that lasted from 1965 to 1980, the light-hitting Harrelson was selected to two All-Star games and won a Golden Glove. Known to family and teammates as Buddy, he spent his first 13 seasons with New York and was the only man in a Mets uniform for both of their World Series titles. The first came as an infield anchor of the 1969 Miracle Mets, the other as the club's third base coach in 1986. In one of the most famous scenes in baseball history, it was a euphoric Harrelson waved home Ray Knight with the winning run on Bill Buckner's air in Game 6 of the 86 series against Boston. Harrelson also managed the Mets for nearly two seasons, guiding them to a second-place NL East finish in 1990 after taking over in late May. He was inducted into the team's Hall of Fame in 1986, joining Rusty Staub as the first two players honored. It was easy to see why the 69 guys loved him. He was great on defense, and he was tough. Mets broadcaster Ron Darling, who pitched for the club from 1983 to 1991, told New York Post in 2018. In Game 3 of the 1973 NL Championship Series between the Mets and Cincinnati Reds, Rose slid hard into Harrelson at second base on a double play. The two ended up toe-to-toe and then wrestling in the infield at Shea Stadium, triggering a wild bench-clearing brawl that spilled into the outfield. Outweighed by more than 30 pounds, the scrawny, gritty Harrelson got the worst of it, but he didn't back down. I have no regrets about going at it with Pete Rose. I did what I had to do to protect myself, and Pete did what he had to do to try and motivate his team, Harrelson wrote in his 2012 memoir, Turning to My Journey to the Top of the World and Back with the New York Mets, co-authored with Phil Pepe. We fought and that was the end of it. This wraps it up for the sports news from ESPN for Sunday, January 14, 2024. Your reader for today has been Jerry Clem. Thank you for listening. And now please stay tuned for further programming here on Radio I. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.